Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. In today's episode, Jeff made a vow. We're looking at the story in Judges chapter 11 and how we often make the wrong call about what God wants from us. As usual, we will go over the passage and ask ourselves what it means and what it calls us to do. I'm so happy you're joining us today. Let's begin. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Make sure you take some time to reach out to your fathers or father figures in your life and let them know you appreciate and love them. They might only grunt in acknowledgement if they give any response at all, but I know deep inside that they'll really appreciate your words of affirmation. Even if you have a tenuous relationship with your dad, be the one to extend love and grace today and thank them for, you know, doing the best they can. I don't know a whole lot about my own biological father, and any memory I have of him stops at age four. Curiously, I don't have any resentment towards him, though. I really don't. For one thing, I never felt like my life was deficient in any way. And for those of you who know my mother, you'll know what I mean when I say having her as a mom was like having five parents in one. Moreover, my mom made a point of not bad mouthing my dad to me. And when she relayed the facts surrounding why he wasn't around anymore, it showed that she didn't really have any lingering bitterness around the matter. So much so that whenever she told me stories about him, they were fairly complimentary. My mom was one of those people, and one of the only people I know, who was truly content with making Jesus her new husband, to have and to hold, for better or worse, for richer or poorer. For even death won't do them part. <laughs> so that meant I grew up with Jesus as my dad, which isn't unusual if you grew up in church, especially on a day like today. We talk about how our earthly fathers might have numerous shortcomings, but our heavenly father is perfect and every good and perfect thing comes from him. Because I had no expectation of what a dad should do or how he should be. I was completely okay with making God my father and accepted his mysterious and often elusive nature without question. One time in seminary, though, I had a conversation about this with a colleague of mine, and she expressed that she was violently opposed to calling God her father, which was shocking to me. See, her own father had been an abusive alcoholic, and she just could not stomach the idea of. Projecting her idea of what a dad was unto God. She resisted going to church for a while when she was a teenager, she told me, because of that reason. If God is a father, I don't want anything to do with him, she had said. So the point is, as evidenced in both her and my view of God, our understanding of God is so limited because we try to fit God into the confines of our own experiences. We try to make God relevant to us and get frustrated when God doesn't move in the way we think he ought to. And this was one of the biggest mistakes another father in the Bible made during his tenure as a judge of Israel. So let's examine the story of Jephthah together so we can see what that means. 
Judges chapter 11 introduces Jephthah to us right away as a mighty warrior. Huh, that sounds familiar. But for Jephthah, this was a title he actually earned, as opposed to Gideon, who had to kind of grow into his description a little bit. And we're in the book of Judges, so you know what happened and why Jephthah became a judge. If we go back to Judges chapter 10, we find that indeed, like the patterns of previous judges, Israel once again had done evil in the eyes of God and forsakes God altogether and are thus being oppressed by a new enemy, this time the Ammonites. And because of this, the Israelites repent, and when God could not bear their misery any longer, he raises up a new judge to lead them against their enemy. Enter Jephthah. Now, Jephthah had a troubled childhood. The text tells us that he was born of an illicit relationship. His mother was a prostitute. And while he was allowed to grow up in his father's house, his brothers eventually drove him out so that they wouldn't have to split the inheritance with him. Rude, right? So then he settled in a different land where he got affiliated with a gang of scoundrels, the text tells us, and this gang of scoundrels followed him. So basically, he became a gang leader. But after years of Ammonite oppression, the elders go find Jephthah and basically beg him to come back and lead them. To which he says in Judges chapter 11 verse 7, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Which I have to admit is a fair point. They kicked him out of town and yet here they were with their tail between their legs asking him to come back and not just to live among them, but to be their leader, to be their commanding officer. This makes me believe that Jephthah's mighty warrior reputation was actually a widely known fact. And Jephthah tries to engage the king of the Ammonites in a peace treaty, but they won't budge. They say they're only retaliating because the land was taken from them all those years ago when Joshua was leading the Israelites into Canaan. So to clarify, they were acting on a 300-year-old grudge. And so the peace talks don't really go as planned, and that's when Jephthah decides to engage in battle. The passage tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah in verse 29. And everywhere else in the judges when this happens, it is to show that the judge in question would soon be given unquestionable victory. But for some bizarre reason, Jephthah did not feel like God's presence was reassurance enough. So we read in verses 30 to 31 that, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now how foolish is this? What compels him to make such a stupid vow? He had to have known that there was a high probability that whatever came out of the door of his house would be a human being. I mean, I guess we can say that the Israelites had forgotten God and his law for so long that 
they defaulted to the ways their neighbors worshipped their god, which included horrendous things like human sacrifice. And there are actually some scholars who say that Jephthah didn't mean to really sacrifice anyone and that it was purely metaphorical. Some compare his vow to that of people like Hannah in the Bible, who vowed to dedicate her son in service to God if only she would be given a child to give. So it's entirely possible that we're not dealing with something so heinous as child sacrifice, which would be a relief, but it's still a desperate and negligent move for a father to make, right? But either way, this vow was in fact unnecessary. God did not prompt this vow. The Spirit of God was already with Jephthah. He was going to conquer the Ammonites, which he does. And even the Bible doesn't spend too much time dwelling on the details of this battle because now everyone just wants to know who did he have to end up sacrificing. And tragically, who should come out to meet Jephthah upon his triumphant return but his only child, his beloved daughter? Now, I'm personally offended by this because I am also an only child and hopefully a beloved daughter. Now, when Jephthah's daughter learns of what he had vowed to do, she asks for two months to mourn with friends, and then she returns to face her heartbreaking fate. And that's the wrap on Jephthah's story, pretty much. So what are some things this story calls us to do? And the first thing is to pay close attention to the things we aren't called to do. Now, Jephthah did not need to make this bargaining vow at all. God did not grant him victory because of it. But in Jephthah's mind, God was like the other Canaanite gods who needed to be appeased with these sadist rituals. So after he defeated the Ammonites, he probably truly believed it was because he had made this vow and now he felt like he had to follow through on it. Now, many of us followers of God in a similar way inflict pain and suffering on ourselves as though pain and suffering will somehow make us more holy or give us what we need. Now, I've grown up around so many Christians who would actually refuse to take medicine or go see a doctor because they believed with their whole heart that God would miraculously heal them and the fact that he hadn't yet meant that they were destined to suffer in this way. And this is just one example out of hundreds where we confuse inevitable hardship on earth with the will of God. And while adversity is a sad fact of life, God doesn't want us to go down a self-inflicted suffering spiral, especially in the name of spirituality. The prophet Micah said it best in Micah chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What God requires of us is not more empty words of praise or meaningless offerings. He requires that we 
do things that represent him well, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And yes, sometimes doing those things could produce suffering, but we don't need to seek being a martyr. We need to seek doing what is right. Which brings us to the second thing I feel called to do by today's text, and that is to love more actively. And what I mean by that is that we need to stop talking about love as some abstract construct and do the things that we can to really demonstrate what love in action looks like. Now, we got a brief look at Jephthah's upbringing, and it was a rough one. His own family drove him out because they felt he didn't fully belong. And then when they needed his warrior skills, they pleaded with him to come back. And the name Jephthah means he opens or he releases or sets free. Now, Jephthah was destined in many ways to emancipate the people of Israel from the Ammonites, which he does, but he pays a regrettably steep and ultimately unnecessary price. And, you know, not to psychoanalyze him too much, but is it possible that he made such a terrible vow at the risk of harming someone in his own family because he himself had been taught from a young age that family is dispensable? He devalued and dehumanized the members of his own household the same way his family had done to him. And speaking of releasing and setting free, this week we celebrated the fact that Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. Yay! Now, for those of you who might not be familiar with what this holiday is about, I mean, that's okay. We weren't really taught this in our history books. Juneteenth commemorates the day in which slavery was officially over in the United States. The last slaves were set free in Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865 which was, shockingly, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed to end slavery. Now, this becoming a national holiday is a big get for our country, especially with the racial tensions that persist. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a minor win. There's still so much that needs to happen, and it begins at the micro levels with people like you and me dedicating ourselves to love actively. And no, God won't require you to make any vows to that effect, but I challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you so that you're not complicit in letting cycles of hate and destruction be our legacy, especially as followers of God. Let's be the kind of lovers of God who value human life and dignity, who invite the outsiders to sit at our table and help others experience God for the good Father that He is. Let's pray. God, how often have we tried to make deals with you in exchange for a win in our lives? Why do we keep thinking that it's that kind of reckless vow-making that will make us holier in your eyes when all you required of us all along was to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you? So God, we acknowledge that there is nothing we can give to you that will amount to any amount of worth, 
but give us understanding and compassionate hearts so that we can live the way your son Jesus taught us to while on earth, not by being self-righteous, but always seeing your righteousness and your holy, expansive, freedom-giving love. In Jesus' name, amen.